March 2020, Exeter, Rhode Island. George Whitford answered a middle-aged woman's frantic Facebook post. She was living in a van and was looking for an isolated and peaceful place to park it on a temporary basis, while she sold her home and mourned the death of her adopted daughter. George felt sorry for the grieving mother. He too was going through his own set of misfortune with his father dying of cancer. He wanted to do this good deed and help the woman out. George allowed the woman to park her handicap-accessible van behind his home for five months. She told him her name was Shelley Gusingle and her nine-year-old daughter had died of a seizure whilst playing with toys in her playroom. Living in the house was just too heartbreaking for her, so she needed to sell it and move on. George thought there was something not quite right with Shelley's story and he thought her to be strange as she would spend her days reading next to a generator. But he was distracted with his father and the property was large enough, so he didn't really need to interact with the odd woman. George would soon realise his intuition was right, and Shelley wasn't all that she seemed. However, he could never imagine what horrors a Google search would reveal to him. This is Janae's story. Janae Wilkinson was born May 6, 2020, to single mother Elisa Ogenbar. And while Janae's father was never in the picture, Elisa had an abundance of support via her mother, Florence Mitchell, and brother Jeremy Ogenbar. And she would need it. Unfortunately, Janae was born with a long list of health complications, including cerebral palsy, which is a neurological disorder that affects muscle control and motor skills. Janae was completely non-verbal, and she required a shunt and a feeding tube before the age of two. Janae was unable to walk, and severe constipation due to her medications confined her to a wheelchair. Janae almost died 25 times in the first four short years of her life due to medical complications. After years of struggling, Alyssa conceded that she was not able to provide her daughter with the care and medical expenses she required. Alyssa sadly agreed it was in the best interest for Janae to be placed with the state for adoption with an experienced disability carer. The Department of Children, Youth and Families, or DCYF, they knew exactly who to place four-year-old Janae with, Michelle Rothgib. Rothgib lived in Warwick, Rhode Island, and had been adopting special needs children for several years, at one time even having as many as 13 children in her care, three being her own grandchildren. So Janae Wilkinson would be formally adopted by Rothgib and become Janae Rothgib. She would move into her home at 405 Oakland Beach Avenue, Warwick, and at first the situation seemed to be going better than anyone could have hoped. Rothgib would initially send text messages to Alyssa and the rest of the family, painting the picture as if everything was going great. That Janae was thriving, and she was having a lot of fun interacting with Rothgib's other adoptive children. It was all a relief for Alyssa, only confirming she made the right decision for the well-being of her daughter. But then suddenly there was nothing. All communication stopped and Rothgib failed to respond to Alyssa's request for updates on Janae. 
But since the adoption was finalised and Alyssa had given up all parental rights, there was nothing she could do but hope that her daughter was in good hands and that DCYF had chosen the best environment to provide for Janae. Michelle Rothgib first applied for a kinship care foster licence in early 2007. Her own child was no longer equipped to care for her own children, and Rothgib wanted to take guardianship of her grandchildren, children that had been diagnosed with Asperger's syndrome. Now, we have spoken about Asperger's on previous episodes, such as Thomas Valva and Alicia Navarro. But Asperger's syndrome is now referred to as high-functioning autism. And while it is a disability of sorts, those with Asperger's can live full, successful and loving lives, much like you and me. As I've previously stated, my own son is considered Aspie and is thriving in school, sport and socially. But much therapy is needed and there can be co-diagnoses such as ADHD and oppositional defiance disorder. But back to our story. DCYF declined Rothgib's request due to her criminal history for charges dating back to the 1980s. Charges that included receiving stolen goods and two drug possession charges. This decision would be overturned in the September of that year, and Rothgib would formally adopt her first two high-needs children. Only a few months after this, in early 2008... Rothgib moved without court permission to her home state of Oklahoma, against the children's father's wishes. This would go before the courts, and a family court judge would order Rothgib to return with the children to Rhode Island. Regardless of this and other incidents that would only come to light after Janae's tragic death, Rothgib would become the go-to person for the state, She would be the first person DCYF would contact when they had a placement of a child with complex special needs. And in turn, Rothgib basked in this attention. She would post about her children on social media and spend hours reading the comments from her followers, praising her for taking in difficult children that no one else wanted. It wouldn't be long before Rothgib realised the more sickly the children looked, the more sympathy she would receive and the more community support by the way of gifts, even a fundraiser to fix her wheelchair-modified van. So Rothgib would deprive her adoptive children of food, clothing, medicine and normal social interactions. She would homeschool all of her children. Also, she could post stories and photos for the world to see what a great person she was and to continue to benefit from the suffering of the children in her care. Not only that, but Rothgib would also be receiving $4,800 a month in state adoption assistance payments, and she would have been likely eligible for additional social security payments for any children with disabilities, which six of the eight children in her care at the time of Janae's death had physical or mental disabilities. The last time the department had any contact with Michelle Rothgib would be in 2018, when she was finalising her eighth adoption. In January 2018, social workers visited the home in response to a complaint of lack of appropriate supervision for the existing children in Rothgib's care. However, during this visit, inspectors weren't allowed up to the second floor of the home, 
even though before all adoptions can be finalised, DCYF should, quote, have access to the entire home, unquote. But that didn't happen, and despite that troubling sign, it appears no one raised alarms and Rothgib was allowed to proceed with the adoption process of another child, this time a toddler. And in the case of this last adoption, generally a proper home study report should be completed, detailing all the particular needs of all the children who are currently in the household, as well as the child who will potentially become a part of it. But in this instance, this report included some sections that were copied and pasted from previous home study reports, and included a previous address of Rothgib. Regardless of all of this, the adoption was still approved. Usually around this time of year, I get to feeling really tired, unmotivated and just blah. Between being a mother to three, my day job and the podcasts, I hold on to stress and that affects my sleep. Wrap that up all in a bow and I've become a little too reliant on coffee to get me through my day. Then, out of nowhere, Magic Mind reached out. And Magic Mind is this little green shot containing a combination of 12 active ingredients designed to stimulate focus, creativity, energy and motivation, all while decreasing stress. I was hesitant at first. I've tried so-called natural energy shots before. They taste disgusting and gave me nothing for the privilege. But then, what did I have to lose? I tried it for five days. Instead of a morning coffee, I mixed in the Magic Mind shot with a glass of sparkling water. Now, for one, they actually taste really nice. Not only did I not miss my morning coffee after the first day or two, I've more than halved my caffeine intake throughout the day. And because I'm not relying on the coffee jitters, my sleeps are less disrupted, so I wake up more refreshed. And then thanks to the L-theanine, I'm more productive and focused the next day. I am a complete convert and will be buying these magic little green shots again. It's a total game changer. Now, I have a 20% off code to share with you guys. It's STOLEN20. To use it, you can go to magicmind.co slash STOLEN and enter the code STOLEN20 at checkout. The best part is they have a money-back guarantee. Better yet, if you get the subscription, it's a 40% off discount. Now, my 40% off code only lasts 10 days, so get to it. January 3rd, 2019. 55-year-old Michelle Rothgib had been unwell with the flu for two weeks by this stage, and due to the already autoimmune-compromised position of most of the children in her care, she believed the best course of action would be to take a hands-off approach, leaving the majority, if not all, of the care of the other seven children, who were aged between 5 and 13 years old, to her 15-year-old grandson or while Rothgib napped and watched television in her bedroom. That morning, he would find nine-year-old Janae crawling to the bathroom. She had been sick on herself. As I mentioned before, Janae relied solely on her wheelchair for her mobility. But due to the poor state of the conditions they were living in, the wheelchair was currently being stored in the van outside. Her older adoptive brother helped her to the bathroom and cleaned her up in the shower. He placed her in the bathtub with a few inches of water to play in. 
he would later tell police that this was a regular occurrence, that Jeanne would be left in the bathtub without supervision for hours at a time. The teen would check on Jeanne later in the day. He would bring her her sippy cup. That was when he noticed most of the water was gone, so he added a few more inches so Jeanne could continue her playtime. But then he needed to leave to tend to some of the other children and to cook dinner. Rothgib would later claim that she too checked in on the girl around this time, and Jeanne seemed happy and content with sitting in the bathtub and playing. The next confirmed time Jeanne would be checked on would be 4.30pm. By this stage, she would have been in the bathtub for eight hours. Her 13-year-old adoptive brother found her naked, face down in the water and unresponsive. She was already in the early stages of rigor mortis. But when he told Rothgib, she would order the children to hide bags of trash in the basement before directing the 15-year-old to call 911. When police arrived at 405 Oakland Beach Avenue, they could not be prepared for what they would encounter. When police arrived, they would find a literal house of horrors. The police report documented a house that reeked of urine and feces. They found the interior of the house covered with garbage bags, bugs on the ceiling and a pile of soiled diapers on the floor of Janae's bedroom. Surrounding the younger children's beds, Mesh netting provided a prison, so they couldn't free themselves on their own accord. And this mesh netting was covered with what was described as animal feces. Janae's anti-seizure medication was found untouched in the kitchen. It is not clear when she was last given this daily medication, but her autopsy would later confirm there was none in her system. Investigators also found a dog, an 120-pound bull mastiff a guinea pig and two turtles, one of which was in the sink in the downstairs bathroom and the other was in a bin on top of the toilet. Heartbreakingly, a second dog was found, a small poodle. He was found unresponsive and emaciated. The only food evident for the dogs was a mould-covered sandwich in a dog bowl. This papa would be so malnourished that he could not be saved and he had to be euthanised. A veterinarian believing he had been poisoned by someone, most likely Rothgib. Police noted that the home was so cluttered that Jeanne's wheelchair would not be able to be used inside. Warwick Police Major Mark Ulicki would be quoted as saying, No one should be living in that type of environment, especially children. Jeanne Rothgib would be taken to Kent Hospital in Warwick where she would be declared deceased at 5pm. Jeanne was only nine years old. All seven of Rothgib's remaining children were immediately removed from the home and placed in state care while the investigation took place. Rothgib claimed the state of the home was only due to her illness and had deteriorated over the two-week period. However, evidence would show the situation had been that way for many, many months before Jeanne's death. Michelle Rothgib would be charged with child abuse and child neglect, as well as animal cruelty, which for reasons that are never explained and I don't understand, the animal cruelty charge would be dropped soon after. However, Rothgib would be released on her own devices on a $25,000 bond and ordered to remain in the Warwick area. 
However, Rothgib would take her opportunity and flee the state, first going for a time to Oklahoma and then posting an impassioned plea on Facebook for a place to park her van. March 2020, Exeter, Rhode Island. George Whitford answered a middle-aged woman's frantic Facebook post. She was living in a van and was looking for an isolated and peaceful place to park it on a temporary basis, while she sold her home and mourned the death of her adopted daughter. George felt sorry for the grieving mother. He too was going through his own set of misfortune with his father dying of cancer. He wanted to do this good deed and help the woman out. George allowed the woman to park her handicap-accessible van behind his home for five months. She told him her name was Shelley Gusingle and her nine-year-old daughter had died of a seizure whilst playing with toys in her playroom. Living in the house was just too heartbreaking for her, so she needed to sell it and move on. George thought there was something not quite right with Shelley's story and he thought her to be strange as she would spend her days reading next to a generator. Quote, I thought what she was doing was a little odd, but my father's condition preoccupied my mind, and I really didn't want to invade her space. Unquote. George would soon realise his intuition was right, and Shelley wasn't all that she seemed. However, he could never imagine what horrors a Google search would reveal to him. George would contact the local authorities that he had located Michelle Rothgib, and she would be taken into custody where she would remain to this day. December 22, 2021. Judge Daniel Procassini would sentence Michelle Rothgib to 18 years in prison. Of this, 15 years for manslaughter, followed by another three years for the eight counts of neglect and cruelty of a child. Judge Procassini said Rothgib's conduct was criminal narcissistic and manipulative, and that this resulted in the, quote, cruel and neglectful death of Jeanne and years of cruelty and neglect for the other children, unquote. In evaluating Rothgib's chances of a rehabilitation, Judge Procassini said that he reviewed conversations and interactions Rothgib had had with DCYF, police and school officials. He found, quote, disturbing patterns in which she either portrays herself as a victim or believes she has all the answers, or she manufactures excuses for everything and never accepts responsibility, unquote. He went on to say, quote, she's lived a life of manipulating those in authority and demonstrated little in the ways of sincere remorse or responsibility, for the lethal, cruel and neglectful conduct that endangered her children, unquote. The judge believed her chances of rehabilitation were poor. In receiving her sentence, Rothgib addressed the court, sobbing, quote, I loved my children, all of my children, but I'm ashamed, unquote. Despite the tragedy that was Jeanne's death, it did highlight the numerous failings of the state's child protection services. A state where it was determined between 2016 and 2017, there were 31 incidents where a child they were supposed to be advocates for died or nearly died. And directly because of Jeanne's death, one unidentified DCYF employee was placed on administrative leave and three others were placed on limited duty. In June 2019, 
A Rhode Island Child Advocacy Service underwent a review of DCYF and their involvement in Janae's death. They provided a damning 57-page report on the numerous occasions where the state fouled this little girl and her adoptive siblings by not stepping in. And instead, they added more children to the already dangerous and chaotic household. It was determined that in 2013... DCYF were notified by the State Department of Health that Rothgip had been selling Janae's nutritional formula online. A DCYF worker visited the home and they reported there seemed to be ample formula there. The worker also noted that Rothgib, quote, had not mentioned anything about not giving the children the formula, unquote. I mean, like, that was something she would have said anyway – but apparently that was enough for DCYF, and Rothgib's word that she was feeding Janae was enough for them. This was despite, at the same time, Janae being treated for failure to thrive symptoms. Also in 2013, DCYF noted that a foster child in Rothgib's home, quote, had made disclosures to his school he was being locked in a room, unquote. But there was no Child Protective Services investigation initiated from this and no one from DCYF followed up on this report. This is despite the DCYF file littered with references of Rothgib allegedly keeping many of the children in their high chairs all day in attempts to feed them and also confining them to zippered sleeping bags. 2014. DCYF investigators were notified that a child had been taken to the hospital, quote, unaccompanied by foster mother due to foster mother having eight other children in her home, unquote. This would be the third documented incident where this particular child was sent to hospital by themselves. But again, there was no follow-up by DCYF regarding Rothgib's ability to care for this many children on her own. 2015, a review was conducted on Rothgib because several of the children had missed a number of important specialist appointments. Rothgib's reasoning for this? She had too many children. Despite this, again, DCYF did nothing to step in to rectify the situation. 2017. A private service provider contacted a school official about concerns that Rothgib's children were not being properly homeschooled. But there was no further documentation regarding the outcome of this call. That same year, a neighbour of Rothgibbs sent pictures to the DCYF, showing the conditions of the home. Again, there was no involvement by DCYF workers. The report concluded, quote, The health and developmental progress of the children in foster mother's home declined over time in her care, unquote. End quote. There was ongoing failures by DCYF staff to assess risk and the safety of all the children in the house, unquote. The report made 21 recommendations on how the DCYF could do better, from more training to evaluate prospective foster parents and to recognise early signs of child abuse and neglect. Quote, There will never be a realistic answer to the questions on how one person can care for eight special needs children. It is our opinion that DCYF needs to be held accountable and responsible. Unquote. And DCYF did take on board some of the recommendations, which, personally, it's not enough for me. They really never did publicly take any responsibility at all for their role in Janae's death. And while they weren't physically present when she died, they definitely contributed to the factors that caused her death. 
And DCYF Director Trista Pecola was re-elected in 2021, stating they would be codifying five changes to its policy in order to prevent such a tragedy from happening again. These included changes to how adoptive families are screened, putting a cap of five children maximum for adoptive families, and not allowing sibling groups to be placed with other unrelated foster children, unless through special authorisation by the director. On the eve of what would have been Janae's 12th birthday, her biological uncle, Jeremy Ogumba, would reflect on his memories of his niece. Quote, When I think of her, I go back to her eyes. And although she wasn't able to communicate all that well, you could see in her eyes the innocence that she had. To think of her and the ways in which she must have suffered and what she must have gone through in that house, I can only imagine those eyes changing. Those eyes coming to grips with the reality of hardship and life and suffering. Unquote. Jeremy went on to tell WJAR that more should have been done to save Janae. Quote, I want justice served. Justice was not fully served. My niece wasn't the first to be harmed by DCYF, nor will she be the last. We need to stay vigilant, stay aware to what's happening. We need to keep knocking on doors and trying to change systems and structures that govern the ways in which people live. And DCYF is a huge system and structure that does that. Unquote. If you have your own thoughts and theories on the case we discussed today, or any case we talk about on Stolen Lives, please search Stolen Lives on Facebook. Like the page so you don't miss an episode and join the discussion group to talk about your thoughts and theories. You can also talk to us on Twitter, search lives underscore stolen, or on Instagram, Stolen Lives Podcast. If you like what you heard today, we would appreciate it if you share this episode on your social media of choice and subscribe and leave a positive review on your podcast app. Today's episode was researched and written by me, Ali. Hosting and production was also by me, Ali. Music is by Mayu.